Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial at searchenginejournal.com forward slash audible and get your first book for free. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Search Engine Nerds. I'm your host, Brent Satorson. Today, I'm going to be joined by Dan Fagella, who built and sold the website The Science of Skill and has some interesting tips and learnings along the way. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, stay tuned. Hey, Dan, really appreciate you joining us today. Really excited to kind of talk about some of the things that you've gone through with like your business, you know, and but first off, you know, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to Search Engine Nerds. Man, Brent, glad to be here, man. Happy to be here with you. So we, we, we were talking a little bit uh, before the show. We have a lot of like crossover interest from futurism yes. to jujitsu, which is, you know, as we both kind of alluded to, is kind of rare. But one of the other things that I think we both have is a sense of entrepreneurial spirit in the online space and, and really identifying, you know, early on what the opportunity was, you know, if you're willing to put the effort in, what you can accomplish yeah. and, you know, kind of trial and error as you walk through online marketing. And so, uh, you know, for, for the listeners, you know, can we, you know, give me a quick summary, you know, maybe just a couple minutes of yep. where you went from offline to online. Like, where was that decision made and what was your first, you know, couple steps in doing that? Definitely. So uh, in terms of the, the business that I think we're going to focus on here, just for the for queuing up the folks at home, it was a basically an e-learning kind of, we sold physical products as well as digital instructional programs for self-defense. So the jump from offline to, to online was, Brent, interestingly enough, I was running a, a physical martial arts gym in Rhode Island uh, because I, I needed to pay for college. I needed to pay for Ivy League graduate school, and I didn't want to get a job. So uh, teaching people how to choke other people is significantly more fun uh, than getting a job. Uh, so I did that and trained fighters and did a lot of national competitions. And what happened, Brent, is I, I knew I wanted to eventually get into artificial intelligence and neurotech and kind of cover those spaces uh, in terms of like policy and influence on business and governance and society and whatnot. Um, and so I knew I'd need a location-dependent business at some point. But what was kind of one of the prompts to action that got me started on an online business quicker than uh, I would have probably initially is that uh, my the roof partially collapsed on my martial arts gym because we were in this really old mill building. Uh, that was built in like 1840 or something. And we had some crazy snow and rain. And so I just put my whole life savings into an expansion. We got it up to, you know, almost 5,000 square feet. And, uh, you know, all that was, you know, under eight inches of water, uh, like, you know, two months after the expansion. So I was, I was sitting here like, man, do I really want to tie all of my income to, you know, a physical presence? I already knew the answer was no. Uh, this is one pretty good reason to start getting into the online world. So, yeah, that's what took me to taking all my seminars, taking all my competition footage, taking the skills I was learning in SEO to, to grow my physical gym and apply that to a broader online audience because, holy crap, I do not want one roof collapse to uh, make me go bankrupt. So that was so, a pretty so, good prompt to run a second business. So you end up building a website. Uh, you end up 
launching and putting material up there, uh, obviously yes. videos and other materials that you would have. So where, where, do you, where do you start realizing, did you already have a sense of like how to do that, how to build a website, how to do the marketing, or did you kind of like build it and then start you know, asking yourself the question, how do I get people to come to the site and then start, how, how does that transition into online digital marketing kind of effectively happen? Yeah, it, it, uh, it was a lot of, you know, building the train while you're riding the train for sure. I definitely didn't have a, a clear plan in, in a really overt sense in this, in the sense that I didn't have the experience. So I did have the experience hiring people, firing people, building business processes, selling stuff, you know, doing some SEO, right? I, I had put together the website for my, my jujitsu gym, gym, which was yeah. far, far below the level of fanciness, right? It was like, it, it's what a WordPress site looks like when a guy who doesn't know how to code other than some basic HTML stuff puts together a WordPress site. So it was about that level of fanciness. But I, I had that degree of familiarity. I had gotten into a lot of email marketing and again, had, had been kind of knuckling down on SEO for my physical gym. So I had some of the basic tools in place, uh, Brent, but what, what ultimately happened is I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted the business to ultimately be, which was a, a, a high margin recurring revenue business that was not location independent because I knew I needed something where I could move to the, to the Bay Area, where I am now, and not have any consequences. And I also knew I needed an exit, right? I need something that has recurring revenue so I can get a multiple that's pretty fat and, and I can kind of have a good cash out when it's time to leave. So having the end in mind was important. But to be honest, Brent, all I had was basic skills from my first business, the end in mind, and just Googling my nads off uh, and calling everybody I knew who might you know, know something more than I knew and paying coaches and going to events and learning everything as I went along. So zero, uh, nothing except for the end in mind when I started other than some basic digital marketing skills. So what would you say were some of the lessons you learned? I mean, really, I would like to kind of dive into more for the audience of like, you know, familiar situations, right? So somebody yep. starting yep. a website similar, they're going to do something that's education related, or they're going to provide some sort of videos. Or they're going to build a site like this. Obviously you need subscribers, right? So what do you yeah. do? I mean, did you start seeing most of your work from like content marketing from SEO? Um, what were the areas that really brought in most of your early subscribers? Definitely. Uh, excellent question. And for anybody who's tuned in, who's, you know, working on getting an online business off the ground, you know, number of people uh, for, for me, I mean, if you're selling B2C, you know, number of people on the email list is kind of the big game. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all about, you know, YouTube and Facebook and whatnot, but email is going to actually drive sales. How many people are on your list, right? That's a, a pretty big, it's a pretty big question. Um, so yeah, uh, for, for me, the, some of the biggest stuff off the bat, um, certainly content marketing uh, actually kind of got us up to a certain run rate and we can go into the strategies that I use to kind of get it to be a full-time income online, which definitely was content. But our early subscribers, Brent, was a combination of two things. Number one, um, for uh, I had a YouTube videos that were already doing pretty pretty well for some oddball reason. So everybody likes watching little guys beat big guys in jujitsu. Um I didn't know that getting into jujitsu, but I do a lot. I've done a lot of com competing against. I'm like 120 something pounds. I've done a lot of competing against, uh, you know, 200 something pound wrestler guys and UFC fighters and all, all kinds of other dudes that outweigh me by, you know, 50 or more. Um, and everybody loves those videos. So those videos were getting a lot of plays, and being able to kind of funnel that traffic off onto a squeeze page was kind of you know, maybe my first 600 or so people. Um, so that was kind of a, a first get go. But to be frank, 
Um, it was affiliates in the very earliest days that got us to maybe our first two to 5,000 subscribers. Um, and I can go a little bit into kind of like how we found those guys. Yeah, how, how, did you, how, how would you go yep. about getting I mean, Because everybody <laughs> likes the idea of having somebody else drive you know, sales back to their site. But how, yep. how did you go about finding your affiliates or, or what markets did you actually like go and sign up with? Like what did you do with the affiliate marketing space? Did, Definitely. So I had some basic ability to write copy because I had uh, a, a website for my jiu-jitsu academy. I had to study copywriting for my email marketing for my jiu-jitsu academy. So um, I had some fundamental abilities to, to put together sales copy. Um, and, I, and I just decided I was going to apply that to e-commerce. I'd also taught a lot of seminars and done a lot of tournaments specifically on the topic of beating bigger opponents. So I, I knew that that topic had uh, clout and sort of had pull because a lot of people online were finding me that way. Um, and I, I already had the stuff filmed. So all I had to do was find a place to host it online. I think I went to, uh, initially I forgot where I even put it. I might've gone to Amazon S3 in the early days. I might've also done like something even more basic than that. But anyway, I found somewhere on, on the internet to host this course, kind of chopped it up with iMovie, literally just like classic Apple stuff, no fancy anything. Um, chopped up the seminars with iMovie, put it up there, put together a sales page that was, you know, better copywriting than most martial artists could do, but by no means was it massively professional. And what I did, Brent, is I, I actually, and you know, there were downsides to this, but I gave away a hundred percent of the funds to the first two guys who I convinced to become affiliates. Um, and I, I did that as like a gesture of trust. And I also did that, Brent, because Certainly, I paid out a huge volume to those affiliates, but at the same time, I then had the list. You know what I mean? And when I came out with future products, I was able to to promote other offers to those folks. Yeah. So the off the bat thing was the following: Hey, you random jujitsu guy, have a great big Facebook page and a, and a pretty good sized blog. Um, I don't really think you're monetizing it at all. Maybe outside of having a little banner for some company that sells jujitsu uniforms or something. Um, man, I, I think the sales page is going to do really well. To be frank, I want to build a relationship. I, you know, I like your site. I feel like I dig where you're going. I'm happy to pay a hundred percent of this forty-seven dollar downloadable course. Uh, and I'd love to be able to find a time to catch that, up. That's really uh, interesting because I've never heard of anybody saying that they would give away a hundred percent of the sales, just, you know, behind the, the scenes to kind of build the, the relationship with the end user. Right. I mean, that's yeah. just, so, so we, you, you had a handful of people that you started this with and obviously were pretty, you know, happy to go out and, and promote this and make some money and you were able yep. to, to get, you know, all the, the, the contact information from that. Yes. So we got the credit card numbers. We got the, I mean, I was using Infusionsoft at the time. So, um, email accounts, names, addresses, all, all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, so then we had a big contact list of, of, you know what, Brent buyers, right? People yeah. with credit cards. So you get a, you get a couple, you know, there was a lot of opt-ins. So I also did squeeze pages and landing pages and, and kind of had that be part of the product launch so that we could build a list. But a lot of these guys were, you know, credit card on file customers for this low ticket product. And that became kind of a basis of an email list. And then from there, I had kind of the, the ability to sort of ongoing create and launch smaller courses and continue to monetize the list. But in order to build it and Brent, in order to build a couple um, initial sort of alliances, it was, hey, look, I can hustle hard and put together marketing material. I can hustle hard and put together courses that I know people are going to care about. This is stuff I've been, you know, flown halfway across the country to give a seminar about, you know, people already pay me for this. I'm pretty confident I can sell it. Uh, you know, in a digital format as well. 
Um, you know, I got a black belt in this stuff. I, I feel confident about teaching it. Um, you know, uh, I've got the course, I've got the sales page. I've worked hard on the copy for my other business. I feel like this is going to go well, and I'm not even going to take a dime. I want to build this relationship. Um, I want to see if we can do things together in the future and let's see how this goes. And I, I think you'll be paid well. And luckily, you know, at that time, Brent, there was really not very much direct marketing in that industry and in that niche. So, um, the, the conversion rates were pretty wild because nobody had seen like a, an actual sales page for a jujitsu DVD. It was just like an Amazon. They just went on Amazon to buy it. So they never actually seen copy. They never seen somebody put together, you know, PDF resources and not just DVDs and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it ended up going well and it wasn't profitable off the bat, but once we had, you know, two, 5,000 people on the list, now I could promote stuff and, and make dollars. So it was so, a, so a how sacrifice many, up front. How many affiliates... When, when did you make the decision? Okay, so two questions. One, yeah, when did you sure, make the, de the decision to kind of stop giving away 100% or did you ever stop giving away 100%? At what point no, did you I, start actually yep. making the affiliate networking aspect kind of be profitable to you? Yep. So uh, that was, I mean, I would say maybe, you know, month three or four. So my first one or two product launches with one or two initial affiliates, maybe three initial affiliates was like, a, hey, I'm just going to give you all the money here. Um, which which kind of has its downsides because then if somebody refunds like two months later because like their wife saw the credit card bill and was like you're not paying for that Stephen you're double you know, whatever. paying yeah the, yeah then I'm double paying so you know I I probably ate it early on a lot of that because I didn't I paid out immediately because I just wanted to build a relationship however um you know after that I think I moved it to like seventy five percent of front end commission so I was making a little bit but I was still clearly paying more than fifty percent sure. I think the baseline that maybe people would say is kind of normal for a digital course where the margins are kind of 100% is to give 50% to the affiliate. My bent for probably our first entire year was, you know, 75%. Gotcha. Um, so our first couple launches were 100, then it was 75. It was very evident that they were getting the better end of the stick here. My goal was build the relationships and have a big list in the back end, and that's where I was going to make my margins. And luckily, that that worked out. So, where did you, you you started out doing the affiliate stuff? But did you also have like your list from your you know where? How did you build your email list? You know, obviously doing the affiliate stuff, you're getting information from that. What else did you do to build your email list? Yeah, so on ongoing affiliate um, cross promotions was really important. So, like I told you huge affiliate payouts was one of the big incentives to get people to drive traffic to my landing pages and, and my sales pages. Um, so that was a, a very big emphasis for raw list building early on. The second strategy though was content marketing. And if you want, maybe I'll go at, that's kind of like pillar number two of how we got the list up and the revenue up. I can talk about kind of that as a, as a separate thing. Yeah, well, what did you do with the – I mean, I'm very interested to know how you built the – you know, what was the techniques you used to get the email? So if you're going into content yep. marketing, are you doing like – Here we go. You know, online courses that are, you know, written out? Like what are you doing content-wise that's driving yeah, email, yeah. you know? Here's, here was the strategy. So um, at the time – and now this is many years ago, four years ago. Um, at the time, we had kind of three major categories of stuff that people were asking about on the email list. So I always did a lot of like asking for replies with the email list because my my bent, and I think I got this from kind of the direct marketing world, is like if, if you have communication with your customers in a really open, fluid way, you're going to get a really good sense of what they're passionate about and what they don't give a crap about. And as it turns out, based on sort of what videos had the most views on my YouTube channel at the time and, and also based on just communicating with, with the list, um, there were three areas of kind of self-defense and jujitsu that were really important to people. 
you know, one of them was leg locks. One of them was um, beating bigger opponents, and one of them was uh, like back takes and chokes. So like like choke techniques, right? So sure. uh, guillotine chokes and triangles and whatever. So. So those are kind of three core areas of interest. So what I ended up doing um, was putting together like a 30-minute course. I was still running my gym at this time, so I was still able to film whenever I felt yeah. like it. Um, so I, I put together a 30-minute course on each of those topics, and I let people basically download it for free. You know, This was something that maybe would have been a half of a seminar or something um, on a very, very specific topic, uh, you know, chokes, leg locks, what have you, and you know, just gave it out for free as an opt-in. So we had a, you know, the website was called scienceofskill.com. It's still up now. It's much more about broad self-defense and self-protection. Back in the day, Brent, it was entirely about jujitsu, but we're talking about the early days. So sure. I'm talking about jujitsu. Um, and so the content that I would write on that site, you know, where I got this idea was um, HubSpot. I'm sure you're familiar, you know, yep. in terms of SEO and inbound, they obviously do a lot of things right. And, you know, underneath all their articles that have to do with like sales, they'll have an opt-in that has to do with sales. Underneath all their, their uh, articles that have to do with social media, they'll have an opt-in that has to do with social media. So for me, you know, I created kind of the content output, which was all me in the beginning, Brent. Uh, you know, I would write maybe two or three articles a week, always about one of those three topics that I knew people cared about. So I figured out what they cared about, uh, choke techniques, leg locks, and beating bigger opponents. I would write content that was about one of those three topics, and I would have a banner at the top and the bottom of the article that when they would click to, they would go to an opt-in page and would say, hey, look, thanks for visiting Science of Skill. I put together a 30-minute course. If you want to stay in touch via our newsletter and learn you know, these seven techniques, um, you, know, you can opt in here. And so, so, uh, so how big did your – I mean how successful what, – what kind of email list are you talking about at this point? Like did you have like 10,000, 50,000, 100,000? What were you looking yeah. at as far as the so, buildup? Yep, at, at maybe eight months into the game, which was pretty far into content marketing, and I actually did a ton of guest posting, which I can go into as well. Um, but uh, and I actually, you know, maybe it doesn't anymore. But back in the day, it worked out pretty well for us. Um, so maybe eight months in, we maybe had eight thousand folks. We had less than ten thousand opt-ins at that time. Um, about thirteen months in, we did our first really big product launch, where I had built relationships with maybe a dozen different affiliates in the space. I had been paying them egregious amounts of upfront money, uh, just huge payouts. And so I had a great relationship with about 12 different affiliates. So about a year into building the company, uh, we did a first really legit product launch and that got our email list up to maybe 20,000 people and got our revenue to 40 grand or more per, per month in recurring uh, because we, we had a, a huge promotion. But just, just from content and the early scrappy affiliate stuff, maybe eight, 10,000 folks from the combination of those two so channels. How did you deal with, you know, I mean, it's really hard, especially when you're starting out to figure out like how often to update your email list. Like how often are you hitting up people? What's the line between updating yeah. them and spamming them? And how do you yep. kind of, you know, deal with what was your learning through that? Oh man, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough world, man. It's a tough world in that space. So especially in competitive domains. Now, jujitsu wasn't that competitive when we went into broad self defense and, and self protection. That crisses and crosses a lot with kind of the conservative political slash survival world slash firearms world, which are like super aggressive direct response environments where it's it's kind of uh, it's tough to survive if you're quiet. So we, you know, in the, for probably the first six months, we're sending out three emails a week. Uh, like Monday, Tuesday, uh, Thursday or something. I just found the days that happened to, you know, anecdotally have the highest response rates and just 
there's no science there, but just anecdotally, we had the highest response rates on those three days. And I just did that for the first maybe half a year. And then at some point, it just went to seven days a week, where it was maybe half content and half promotional stuff. So, hey, here's a blog post we wrote on this site, or here's a blog post I wrote on my own site, or hey, you know, I want to get your opinion on this video, or you know, what do you want me to film next? Just kind of asking a question, kind of engaging with the audience, because um, always, always learning from their ideas. Uh, and then the other half of the time, I'd have a digital course to sell. Uh, or maybe an, an, an uh, you know uh, some some kind of an offer to present, if you will. So uh, did you get we, any, we got to the point of every day. Did you feel like doing it every day? Did you start to get a lot of kickback? Uh, did you see a lot of people unsubscribe? Like, what was your experience yeah. from doing that? You know, these things are extremely challenging to test, Brent. Um, extremely challenging to test. So unless you have like two separate, like like you you kind of auto, like if, if you can auto sort all of your buyers in real time into like half of them getting one tag, half of them getting another tag, and then split test a cadence of response to one versus the other. And you have to, you re would really realistically have to do this for like half a year to get statistically significant numbers. Um, you know, on like, Hey, if I, if we promote less, does that aggregately make more money per opt-in, right? To, to crunch those numbers, to answer the questions that your question kind of alluded to, like the science is like a half a year project. And so what you find is that most direct response guys, myself included, because I was running two businesses at that time, um, you know, just totally not, not going to do the testing. The anecdotal stuff was the following. We, I knew I could get opt-ins. Um, we were by no means seeing egregious bite back. Like in other words, spam rates for, for us, particularly in the jujitsu space were like hyper nominal. So luckily in terms of like actual bite back, like, Oh my God, you are spam. Uh, super trivial amounts of that. Uh, like never to the point where any of our email accounts were in, in any way kind of, uh, you know, harmed. Like yeah. Not, not, not even, not even close. Um, but we would see more opt-outs from more outbound messages. The thing was, it was also a lot more revenue. And that revenue, Brent, allowed me to do more activities that drove in more opt-ins. Gotcha. And so I just wanted to see I just wanted to see that revenue wheel spinning. And maybe there was like some other long ball strategy I could have split test and two CRMs, but Honestly, I, I wanted to get so, revenue huge, and I wanted to sell. So what did you get to? You continue doing this over the years. You're doing content marketing. Obviously, you're doing some other strategies that are mixed in, you know, as far as yep, building yep. up the list. What did you get your list to, if you're allowed, you know, if you're open to, to discuss it? Yeah, no, what did I'm, you get I'm your fine. list to before you ended up getting to the point where you almost, you know, you ended up selling this company? Yeah, the, the list at the time of sale. Uh, so a lot of things changed over. So you and I were just talking about the beginning of the business, Brent. Um, about two years into the business, we pivoted away from jujitsu. Not entirely, right? I still kept some sales going there. But um, most of our revenue starting about two years ago started coming from the self-defense, self-protection world. So the firearms audience, the bladed weapons audience, the uh, homesteading audience, the uh, there's a lot of folks that, as it turns out, are really, really interested in self-defense. They just don't do jiu-jitsu. So sure. we ended up needing a lot of other instructors. So I had Marine Corps scout snipers and black belts and all kinds of different martial arts and bodyguards and all kinds of cool guys who were filming courses for us. So it very much was not just jiu-jitsu, and it wasn't just me at that point. Um, and when that started happening, Brent, as it turns out, essentially all of our activities were sending straight to sale, not to opt-in. So in jiu-jitsu you know, a huge percentage of our promotions were to an opt-in page and then we would convert them later. Um, later down the line in the self-defense world, we were doing a lot of straight to sales page promotions 
Uh, and so we were not getting as many people to opt in who were not already buyers. So essentially 100% of the list was comprised of credit cards. It was not comprised of email accounts. It was comprised of, of buyers. When we sold the business, it was maybe 17,000 folks, but our top line revenue uh, was over 200 grand in recurring. So we had a lot of memberships and subscriptions, um, you know, reasonably small list if you think about it, you know, less than 20,000 folks, but we're, we're able to, you know, do well over $2 million in 2016. So- how did you uh, and, and, and how did you how did you take this to a point of sale? Did you just end up having a random yeah. conversation with somebody and they were interested, or is this something you you tried to start you know actually yeah. going out and selling, or what was the path for you to like you know a lot of people are listening and be like okay cool so what's my end game like what do I do when I build this list and yeah. I have it really yeah. working for me? Yep, it's a great question. Uh, most people don't have an end game, and I think that's actually kind of the biggest. Uh, issue. So if you read the books about this stuff, this is what actually frustrated me about a lot of the books and this stuff is they kind of presuppose that you've never had the goal of selling and it's kind of just dawning on you now. That's kind of not my situation. So like I said, Brent, um, my, my ultimate objectives are in the domain of artificial intelligence and sort of uh, eventually influencing policy in that space uh, and, and kind of improving transparency across you know the, the implications of a lot of those technologies. It's like my passion. So I, I knew that I was building this thing to sell. And so uh, all of my steps uh, were, were quite deliberate in terms of getting getting the sale. So how, how did it sell uh, was not a random bump into somebody. It was a, a really deliberate finding a business broker who had sold seven-figure companies in the past. Most online business brokers, and the audience may not know this, but most of them have experience selling kind of tiddlywinks-level businesses, um, like you know $100,000, $200,000 companies. Uh, very few of them have uh, experience, you know, asking a buyer for for two commas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so so finding a the the exact right business broker who has experience and kind of you know proven track record, you know, getting people to to send bank wires with two commas in them, um, that was the big game. And so I found a guy at a, an agency called Quiet Light Brokerage. Found a a really good experienced guy who's had been an entrepreneur himself, had sold a number of businesses that were even bigger than mine, um, and I felt like he was our man. And and his job was then to go out and kind of uh, develop some interest from a buying audience and get things going. So yeah, it was very deliberate, and it was not only deliberate that we wanted to sell, but deliberate in who was going to represent the sale because most online brokers uh, sell, you know, junk companies that that don't have any worth. And and you would you would credit this back to saying that it was really about content marketing for you know uh, opt-ins and email marketing was really your driver of the success of this business. Yeah, in a big way, email marketing was was a huge driver of the success of the business. I would also say that uh, you know having a great team in place who is able to get my own personal work hours to under twenty hours a week. Um, was a very, very important facet of the company. So developing systems, we were a completely remote company. So developing systems and processes where we had dashboards, uh, we had a company wiki that had all the processes documented, where in terms of what everybody's executing on every day, there was really not much question about what to do. And there was also not much question about whether you did it well or not, because Monday metrics were coming up and you knew if you screwed it up, it was going to be in front of everybody. So documenting and tracking all the processes made the business an actual saleable asset rather than a set of cobwebs in an owner's head 
um, which is what happens if, if you don't document things. So I have just a couple minutes left, but I want to ask you know one more kind of basic question, and I'll let you sure. kind of uh, share some information for me. But one, yeah. looking back at all of this, you know, if you're you know if, if somebody's listening and they're really thinking about doing kind of the recurring model, what would you say are one or two of the biggest lessons you learned in that process that you would really want to emphasize yeah. to somebody who's going through the same thing? Totally. So um, specifically for recurring revenue. I would say that uh, some of the biggest, biggest things that, that were turning points for us was determining ways of tracking customer lifetime value and being able to estimate customer lifetime value from different sources. So if you know what your CLV is from a given front-end subscription buyer, like let's say someone signs up for a $7 trial of a you know, $17 a month membership or a $57, whatever it is. Um, if, if you know what that person will be worth in six months, um, it allows you to make marketing decisions that are intelligent. If you don't know what that person is worth, then you're, you're just gambling. So with enough experience, in other words, once you have enough of a track record of people coming in the front door, you look at your collection rates on month one, month two, month three, you can determine, okay, for this lead source and for this front end offer, we tend to have a CLV of about X. And what I like to do is I like to subtract 15% from X, and I like to estimate that that's how much I'm going to collect, just because I'm a worst-case scenario yeah. kind of guy. I don't, I don't like to ride the razor's edge, so, and not, not with finances anyway. So um, you know, not, not when it's, you know, I don't have any rich uncles, right? This is my own money. I'm going to go bankrupt <laughs> if I fuck this up. So, um, so yeah, find your X. So, hey, for this front-end offer, for this subscription offer to this lead source, Here's what the shakeout is for CLV after six months. Now, the unfortunate thing is you do have to do some testing and tinkering to get this figured out. But once you do, you'll, you'll have numbers that then you can, you can uh, really reliably use. So once you know, okay, I'm going to make 60 bucks from this guy in six months. Okay, now you know, you know you're probably willing to spend maybe $30, $35 just to get the guy to come through the front door because you're easily going to kind of make pretty close to twice that in terms of cream on, on the back end. So uh, understanding yeah. CLV per offer and per lead source, that's the biggest bit of advice I could give. Awesome. So uh, we're, we're kind of really bumping up on the time. So I'm going to, you know, uh, but I do want to give you an opportunity just to kind of tell me a little bit real quick, just, you know, what is, you know, uh, tech, you know, what is it? Uh, tech, uh, tech emergence. Tech yep, you had it. Yep. What, it, what is tech emergence? What are you doing with that? What is the new project? Yeah, for sure, man. And I'll actually, I'll, I'll send something along kind of link-wise. But te Tech Emergence is a, a market research and media firm in the AI space where we kind of focus on what are the applications and implications of artificial intelligence in industry. So we do a lot of interviews with executives at Facebook, Baidu, Accenture, a lot of the big companies. And we also talk to dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of, of uh, startups um, in the Bay Area and otherwise. So uh, we're going to be kind of a platform of connecting vendors to buyers, and that's going to be the, the business model in time. And we do a lot of market research that's free. Uh, one of the biggest reports we did recently, Brent, was on actually, interestingly enough for this show, uh, was, was uh, the implications of AI in the domain of marketing. What does this mean for e-commerce and digital media in the next five years? And what do the kind of smartest execs in this space actually think is going to happen there? So a lot of deep market research in AI and kind of building a, a platform for the companies who are developing those technologies. Awesome. And where can people find you and your company online? Yeah, sure, man. Uh, so uh, tech emergence is the just the main URL. If people want to find me 
uh, directly. They can just, you know, Dan Fagel on Twitter, just feel free to, to ping me there. I think in terms of useful stuff for your audience, though, um, I actually did a, a pretty in-depth article about kind of the the affiliate strategy that we used early on um, that I can send along your yeah, way just in absolutely. terms of like a blog post. So I think that would be a lot more helpful. And then I'll also include something about the the marketing research on Tech Emergence. So if people want to hit me up, feel free to just hit me on Twitter. In terms of like links under the podcast, uh, happy to just, I've got a really in-depth article on the affiliate strategy that we use to get to six figures a month. Um, happy to zing that along. I think that would probably be the most useful Perfect. resource Perfect. for you folks. So that's, that's good enough. Awesome, Dan. I really appreciate you joining us. There's a lot of really good takeaways in that. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you were able to share those with us. Cool, Brent. Glad to be here, man. Thanks again. Cheers. Cheers.